If you want to be good at almost anything, it's important to be able to identify your strengths and weaknesses. And it's important from there to be able to utilize both of those things. You utilize your strengths by playing to them. You utilize your weaknesses by actually trying to work around them or to actually compensate for them or maybe even avoid them completely. So today we're going to be talking about three of my major weaknesses. We're going to take one from a lyric writing standpoint, one for from a music writing standpoint and one from a musical ability standpoint and how I compensate for them so you can learn from my weaknesses and hopefully you can apply it to yours. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. This is episode 125. Today we are talking about The importance of identifying your songwriting strengths and weaknesses, and specifically we're going to be addressing three of mine, because this just in, we all have imperfections, we all have things that are strengths, and we all have things that are weaknesses. I am, not that you think this, but if somehow you think that I am an exception to that, I am certainly not. I just think that an important element of being more seasoned at anything is sort of learning how to work around your weaknesses, as well as at that point you now have had more time to address your weaknesses and make them maybe less weaknesses and more just things that you're average at. Um, And then also learn to better and better play to your strengths. So we're going to be talking about that today. And speaking of weaknesses, for a lot of songwriters, the probably largest weakness is lyric writing. So if you haven't already, be sure to pick up my free six-step lyric writing checklist because it walks you through the six steps that I think you should go through in order to write a lyric. It will take you all the way from very beginning idea all the way through a completed lyric that you can be proud of that fits or passes the frame test, as I like to call it, which is the idea of like if you had a poem on the wall in a frame, is it great on its own? Because great lyrics should be able to stand on their own without music to help them, right? Like the emotional melody makes you not realize that the lyric was kind of corny type thing. But great lyrics stand on their own and don't need a melody to help them. They don't need a catchy beat to sort of cover it up. So if you're interested in that, be sure to pick it up. Link in the description below um, it's at songwritertheory.com slash lyric writing checklist. Let's talk about weaknesses. My first weakness, and for the record, I have more than these three weaknesses. These are just three that were <clears throat> convenient to talk about, and three of my bigger ones, in my opinion. So let's talk about music writing weakness first. For me personally, writing catchy rhythms is just the hardest. I gravitate towards melodies and emotional, memorable melodies that are that are sort of grandiose. And writing something that's a little more catchy that makes people tap their feet instead of, uh, you know, sort of, the, I feel like you, most of what I write goes for a little bit of the awe factor, a little bit more than the foot tapping factor. Or as I like to put it, I, I tend to go for memorable over catchy which are sort of two sides of a similar coin. They both are something that make people remember it after it's done, but one is more of a rhythmic thing, and the other one tends to be a little bit more of a melodic thing, a little bit more of, you know, the the lyrics stand the test of time type thing. 
But when it comes to, to rhythms, just like if you ask me to come up with a catchy rhythm or you ask me to go to a, a piano or a guitar and, and, and write something kind of groovy, right? If you were to use the word groovy or, or that has, you know, has a great groove to it, um, <laughs> groovy seems weird in context, but you know, like groove as in like musical groove, not groovy, like what they said in the 70s. I don't know, whenever that was. Um, so catchy rhythms, not great at it. Just not. So what the first question is now that we see, okay, that's an, that's a weakness that I have. The first question to ask is, so, so what's missing then? What, what is it about that? that prevents songs from maybe being good or that um, is a blocker to the end goal. So I guess really the question is, okay, I'm not very good at catchy. What is it that catchy gets you? And in my opinion, catchiness is sort of like the butter or MSG of songwriting in that butter and MSG are kind of cooking hacks, right? There's something to, like, if something doesn't taste great, add more butter to it, and it magically gets better, right? If you have a butter sauce, good luck making that not delicious, right? Now, I'm not saying, like, eat a stick of butter, but generally speaking, it's an easy hack relative to other cooking things. So I'm not dissing on butter or MSG, but those things are an easy thing to add that don't really require that much skill necessarily, that makes something seem much better than it is otherwise. And catchiness can really be that, which again, is nothing against catchiness. Obviously, if like MSG adds a ton to food, if you don't have MSG in your house, get some. There's some on Amazon, your local Asian grocery store will have it too. It will make all of the things just that little bit more special. It's good stuff. Um, but anyway, I also like doing a lot of Asian cooking, so that's why I have it. Um, because Asian food is just oh, so good. So good. I probably cook more Asian food than anything else, actually. I finally have a pretty good lo mein at this point, I think. I, I feel pretty good about the lo mein. Uh, anyway, anyway, not important. So, <clears throat> so catchy is what keeps your listener engaged with like a head bob or a foot tap, right? Where they're engaged with the song regardless of some of its other artistic merits. A great way to look at this is pop music, especially for the last 20 years, give or take, maybe more like 15 years, has been routinely lyrical utter trash and musically most of it is also like meh. It's like whatever. The melodies are eh, okay. It depends, right? There are some like Katy Perry's Firework has some pretty great melodies in it at times. Like the the pre-chorus has really quite good word painting with the melody and stuff. So there are exceptions. But generally speaking, pop gets away with it because pop tends to be catchy. Now, in my opinion, modern pop the last couple of years, half the time isn't even catchy, which is the greatest crime of all because catchiness is like the one thing that pop music does do well and it is like, again, butter, it compensates for all the other things. So you ignore the fact that the lyrics are trash and the melody's not very interesting and maybe even the same note over and over and over again. Um, so long story short, <laughs> what's missing? The head bobbing, keeping people engaged over time. So 
how can we address this? Well, first way to address it is to actually just address the weakness, figure out how I can write a song that has good rhythms and that is catchy without having to start with me just from my own head writing something catchy with the, the piano or the guitar. The easiest way I found to do that is go find a drum loop. So I'll go find a drum loop online, find a groove that I, I really like that's catchy. I can play along to something catchy. It's not like I'm rhythmically unable, right? Like I, 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 can, I can groove with something, but if I'm going to just write something, the tendency is for it to be more like, you know, for example, if I improvise at the piano, what I hear people say is, oh, that's beautiful. What is that? Beautiful is the word I hear. Not, oh, that's so catchy. Not people clapping along, right? It tends to be like a, a very, a, a pretty sound which tends to go a little bit more towards the memorable. So the best way to compensate for that is if you have a, a drum groove that's just, you really feel, you're going to follow it, right? You're not going to come up with this beautiful melody over this really catchy drum beat usually, right? You're going to come up with something catchy to match with the catchy rhythms. So that's one way. Another way is, you know, to just not even try for catchy and instead compensate for it with interesting melodies and interesting other stuff like piano riffs. Because really what Catchy gets you is it buys you relatively easy attention span. Or at least subconscious attention span. That people kind of like it because their foot tapped and they found it an enjoyable experience. So the key is, okay, how can I keep their attention without utilizing catchiness? And really memorable melodies that sort of stand out is a great way to do that. A piano riff that's really memorable is a great way to do that, right? Like Clocks by Coldplay, not catchy. That's which again is not a bad thing by any means. It's not catchy, but it has a really memorable piano riff that really helps carry that song. And it has merits beyond that too. Again, not dissing, just saying that like that is like if you're going to pick one thing about Clocks that to the average person is probably why it was successful. That really memorable piano riff is probably that that main thing that made it so popular on the charts. Not necessarily the fact that it does have a lot of artistic merit, uh, but most people who listen to pop radio don't know or notice or care, um, which is fine. So, second weakness, lyrics. Let's talk about lyrical weakness. In my opinion, my greatest lyrical weakness are happy lyrics. I can't do it. I, I just can't do it. Um, and there's several reasons for this. One is for me specifically, songwriting was sort of birthed out of how do I deal with pain? And a lot of my love for songwriting and, and why I think it's so important and how it's impacted me personally is as a place to go, both the action of songwriting and also listening to other songs and how I fell in love with other artists like Vertical Horizon like the reason I'm so attached to Vertical Horizon um, is the stuff they got me through, right? You know, when life was bad, I could listen to that and feel better because I didn't feel alone in how I was feeling anymore, which to me is a huge root cause of like my love of songwriting and why I think it's important. So because of that... <laughs> Between those two things, my experience of other songs and my experience of me songwriting are both self like self therapy based, not, hey, let me celebrate this awesome thing that happened to me. I'm going to go write a song. 
when I'm happy, when cool things happen, when awesome things happen, I like to just enjoy it and enjoy life. I don't say to myself, hold on. Thank you all for being here and making this a great day. I got to go write a song about what a great day this is. I I have no interest in doing that. I'm just like, let's double down. Let's keep doing stuff. You know, we went shooting yesterday. Today, let's, you know, go, go biking today. Let's, let's go, uh, go to, go do an escape room or, you know, play some board games, whatever. I want to double down on the good things happening. I don't, I don't feel the need to like retreat into my songwriting hole. And the other thing is I like songs to have deeper meaning and, and, and more to them than meets the eye. And, and I want the lyrics to attempt to be profound or at least on the more profound side you know, hopefully people get something different from it than they've heard before. And I feel like it's just really hard to be deep and happy. I just like I I feel like I can honestly say I've never heard a truly happy song that has deeper meaning. I maybe it exists. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I just personally I, when I think of all the deep interesting songs that move me, they're all anywhere from like neutral with kind of a melancholy view on things all the way towards straight up sad. They're never like happy songs. So the question now is, okay, what, what's missing? We'll ask that same question. If I'm not very good at writing happy music, what is it that's missing that I need to compensate for? And I think really what's missing is, is it's easy for me to not have any levity in a whole catalog of songs. So if I'm going to put out an EP, for example, so let's call it five songs. I'm working on a five song EP, so fitting. The tendency is going to be one song that might kind of get you down after another song that kind of gets you down after another song that kind of gets you down, right? And soon as five songs in a row that don't, that just are kind of diving into feeling worse and worse. And I haven't seen it yet technically, but it makes me think of Breaking Bad, right? Breaking Bad, by all accounts, is brilliant. One of the greatest shows ever made. Again, haven't seen it. I take people at their word for now. I'm going to watch it at some point. If you think I'm crazy for having not watched it, let me know in the comments below. Um, But if you're on YouTube, if you're not, then I don't know. (laughs) Tell me in a review on iTunes. But um, but like a part of the reason I haven't wanted to sign up for watching that show is I know that it just is going to get more and more sort of frustrating and hard to watch in that it just gets darker and darker. And it's not that I don't love that. I love that. I love that character arc. I'm a huge fan of like the the story arc of the prequels and Star Wars, like how somebody becomes a villain. I love that stuff. But it is harder to sign up for watching that in the same way that I understand it's kind of hard to sign up for like song after song that like doesn't bring joy to you per se. It just is like looking at the dark side of things. So that's sort of the, the weakness that it can have. So how do we address it? Well, half the time, honestly, I just don't because a lot of my writing is not sad per se, but it's, there's a spectrum, right? So if we're going to just call it basically sad on one side and happy on the other, mine tends to be in the middle, closer to sad. I like to write a, a lot of songs in, in the key of what I call melancholy major, which basically means it's technically a major key musically, but it the song still sounds sad. 
Um, whereas like if it's actually a minor key and it's sad, that's where it starts to get like a little overindulgently sad sometimes. Uh, not always for sure, but sometimes. So that's one thing. <laughs> Another element, though, is there are different ways to write that sort of uplifting or happier sounding song without actually writing a happy song. Great example of this is sarcasm. A lot of sarcastic songs sound like happy songs. To the point that there are some very famous songs that are wildly misunderstood as like people think it's a happy song or a nice song and it's not. It is bitterly sarcastic. Uh, but people don't even notice half the time. Which is not necessarily a good or bad thing. But, but a way to write a song that can be, say, more catchy and sound a little more upbeat and not so, like, emotional and overindulgently, like, oh, I'm making such deep, powerful points, right, is sarcasm. Sarcasm is a great tool. In fact, the last catchy song I wrote, probably my favorite catchy song I've written, is a bitterly sarcastic song. I mean, the, the first line is, um, I heard you're walking on water. Is that not right? Or have you calmed the seas? It's fine. You'd float. Your ego's so inflated, right? Like literally first line where well, I guess that's technically like the first four lines, but it's like the first total phrase sort of in the way that it's sung. Um, so literally I'm taking a, cause the, a part of the thing of the song is like, like they think they're God. So there's Jesus illusions in there, right? Like walking on water. So the whole thing is like, it's fine that you didn't float because your, your ego's so inflated that you'd float, right? Because inflated float. So like, not a nice song. That's the, just the first line. There are some parts that definitely get worse that I won't get into as far as like, it might pass you by, you might not notice, but there are some very not nice things in, in there. And... That is a great way to have a song that adds some levity, but it's really sarcastic levity when you when you dive deeper into it. Which is another way to address that weakness. Weakness number three. This is going to be on the musical ability. So we've addressed a musical, like music writing standpoint, a lyric writing standpoint. Now let's talk about like, my musical ability, what most holds me back creatively. And maybe this isn't what most holds me back. There's definitely a couple options here. Like, for example, I'm a much better pianist than I am guitarist. Um, so I tend to be better at writing piano songs than guitar songs. Also, I think a piano is just a much better music writing instrument. So that helps the combination of me being better at it. Plus it just being better at the job of writing combines to make it that I personally find it like 10 times easier to write on piano than guitar. So we could talk about that. Um, but the direction I want to go here is actually vocally. So vocally, and this is important too, because I feel like I've gotten a lot of questions. Somebody on, on YouTube the other week asked a question about like whether they could have a hit song if they're vocally limited, right? Like, is, is their vocal ability going to hold them back? And the answer is like, yeah and no, right? Some of the, some of the greatest success stories ever don't have great voices, right? Like Bob Dylan, not the greatest singer, right? Like just not the greatest singer. So, um, 
Now, it depends what you're going for. I would argue to be a pop star, but you shouldn't be going for that anyway. If you're listening to this channel and you're going for being a pop star and you're not going to, for like being a legit singer-songwriter who, you know, maybe you turn into a big sensation, right? We're not anti-success here, to be clear, at all. Uh, we're just redefining success as being true to yourself instead of, you know, somebody who wears questionable clothes on stage, dances around, and has to be good-looking, and may or may not lip-sync in your stadium shows. Hopefully that's not what we're aiming for here. We're aiming for meaningful music that actually impacts real people, not just whatever. Anyway, <laughs> any of you who have listened before are probably like, yes, we already know this. That's why we're still listening. So the thing that I think is my biggest vocal weakness is I have, like, no ability to do runs. My strength vocally tends to be in my general belting ability and my vocal range. So I have a very large range um, relative to your average singer, I guess. Uh, I'm not saying I have some record-breaking range and I'd blow... Like, no. But, like, for example, there's a song that I'm writing right now that I can comfortably... It, it, it stretches two octaves which is a lot for a song and it's totally comfortable for me. The bottom is like kind of getting towards the lower end of my range. The top is kind of getting towards the top of my range, but it's fine. I can do that and it's great. Um, like it, it works for me and, and I can belt high notes even though I'm a baritone. So I can do that which I guess is the strength side. What I can't do at all, though, is runs. Like, I, I cannot do runs. Now, maybe a part of it's that I don't sing along to songs that do runs, so I've never really trained myself to do runs. I'm not saying that I probably have no ability to do runs. I probably could learn it. I'm generally of the opinion that most vocalists can, you know, as long as you have some talent, you can learn a lot. And, and as, as limited as you think you are, you are less limited than that. So if you're thinking to yourself, I'm a super limited vocalist, I want to challenge you. You're probably not. And also on that, uh, check out Chris Lipe on, on YouTube. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. He breaks down vocals. Phenomenal. Chris Lipe. Fantastic. Um, I just bought a course from him recently because just love his stuff. Great guy. Great content. The course is fantastic. Awesome stuff. He doesn't waste time either and, and mess around. He, he like gets to the point and it's just so good. So good. Anyway, that's my recommendation. If you feel vocally like you need to get better anyway. So, um, so what's missing the fact that I can't really do runs. And if you don't know what runs are, think like when somebody sort of like goes up and down a scale and, and rapids like rapid succession, and it's not really a part of the written melody per se, it's the type of thing that, like, for example, in R&B, it, it's used a lot. It's used a lot in R&B. It's used a little less in most other genres. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard it in country music, except for really limited ones. Um, when I say runs, too, I don't just mean, like, three notes. I mean, like, five, six-note runs. Basically, any singer, I think, can do three or four or something, but people who like go, you know, all the way up the scale and all the way down. Like I, I, I no idea how to do that. Most common in R and B. Um, at least that I've noticed. I don't think I've, not that I listen to country. I don't even know why I said that. So I, I wouldn't even know. 
Um, but rock is not really common either. Uh, Frederick Mercury maybe did a little bit, but um, mostly it's um, it's most commonly in R and B and pop probably at this point. So, <clears throat> what do those do? Well, they function as vocal highlights. They sort of bring attention back to the vocal with like a, oh, that's impressive type thing. Tends to be what they do. It can be like if there's background singers that are sort of doubling and harmonizing with the lead singer, a great way for the lead singer to stand out, you know, the, you know, whoever it is, Beyonce or whatever, to stand out among the sea of background singers, which I know she probably does her own background vocals on the albums or whatever, but uh, say live. It's a way to stand out. So you're you're missing the ability to bring attention back to the voice via runs. So how do you make up for it? Well, I already sort of started talking about it. I utilize my range. I utilize the ability to belt a high note that kind of like would pop somebody back and be like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Or like, oh, that's, that's a pretty impressive note. So I utilize that. And I also utilize melody writing to help make up for it. I really try to make sure that as much as possible, the melodies I write are interesting in and of themselves so that I don't need to do this over-the-top additional vocalizing that is not my strength in order to make them interesting. Hopefully the, the melodies on their own are interesting melodies, and then hopefully I'm adding other interesting things like an interesting piano riff and stuff like that that will all work together to be memorable and be something that holds people's attention without me doing all these runs and stuff that make people be like, oh, wow, he's doing that and that and that, right? Because I don't have the ability to do that. So I got to compensate for that. And it also helps, too, that, you know, the genres that I tend to write in, which I don't know you what you would call my genre technically, it's like, I mean, pop radio these days, they'd call it a rock because if you look at the rock charts, it's really depressing. There's like nothing that is actually rock on the rock charts, at least the top 20 seemingly all the time. Um, but like, it's probably in the rock vicinity, rock adjacent. I don't know. Um, where like it's singer songwriter with kind of a rock vibe and stuff like that. I think we're gonna have a podcast soon and some videos about crafting your sound and sort of gathering sound ideas from, from artists that you like, but, uh, we won't get into that here. So those are three of my weaknesses, how I personally address them. So hopefully some of your takeaways were we all have weaknesses, one. So don't be afraid of them. In fact, utilize them, right? Knowing your weaknesses, just like knowing your strengths, are very important. You want to play to your strengths. You want to kind of work around your weaknesses. Understand your weaknesses so that you know how to work around them, right? Like, for example, if I didn't identify the fact that, like, hey, my inability to do vocal runs, or at least decently complex ones somewhat hinders my ability to maintain somebody's attention on my vocal performance. How do I make up for that? Right. If knowing the weakness is what allows me to address it so that it doesn't matter as much. Right. I talked before about say James Taylor and I'm not saying this is a weakness of his. I really don't even know, but a part of the beauty of James Taylor and why today you can go to his concert is he's probably like 78 years old. I don't, I don't know exactly, something like that. But I, I went to his concert when he was deep in his 60s, at least. I don't know how long, it was probably like 10 years ago now, but, um, and he sounded perfect and great. You know how he's able to do that? Well, he wrote all his songs right in that rich baritone range that he sings so well in. I mean, his voice is buttery and amazing. 
he might not be able to belt high notes. Well, I think he kind of can because he does have this one jazz-ish. Was it jazz? I forget what it was like, but it's uh, blues. Oh, it was a blues song, I think. Steamroller blues, I think it's called or something like that, um, where he actually shows he can do some of that. But it wouldn't even if James Taylor, let's just say if in a theoretical scenario where he can't belt high notes and he doesn't have a big range, who gives a rip? Because he's great at what he's doing. He maximized where he, in theory, is most talented. Beautiful, amazing guitar parts, right, with with finger picking. Beautiful, amazing stuff. And then a rich voice, smooth as butter, feels like a buddy that you're talking to, or a father figure you're talking to, or, you know, whatever, whatever however you see him. Because it's very conversational, right? And a lot of his songs fit that theme. So... If he had weaknesses, nobody would give a rip about them because he's so good to playing to his strengths. So hopefully this was helpful to you. If it was and you haven't already, be sure to drop a like on this video. If you're listening via podcast, be sure to go to iTunes and leave a review there if uh, you find this content helpful. Hopefully you did. For those of you, because there's been a couple of you now, if you're watching on YouTube and you're like, ugh, you just wasted blah, 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 my minutes. This is a podcast. There's a reason at the beginning I said it's a songwriter theory podcast. The other videos on this channel that aren't podcast videos are edited and don't have tangents and stuff like that. But a part of the beauty of podcasts is it's that like next level relationship, right? I don't just like the way you present information. In theory, there's a level of like... There's a little, you know, there's time for me to make fun of Taylor Swift for three minutes over here. There's time for me to mention my love of The Office or Star Wars over here, right? Like, that's a part of the beauty of a podcast. That's why this is a, if you're on YouTube, a video podcast, but this is actually a podcast that's released. That's the point, okay? So don't be commenting down below that your time was wasted, because first of all, you can click off the video. Second of all, it's meant to be a podcast. It's the type of thing that is meant to be in the background while you are at work, bored out of your mind and you want something to listen to, or while you're driving to work, preferably don't have the video up, really use the podcast. So for the few of you who are complaining about that, there you go. Hopefully for all the rest of you, those which have been listeners for a while, I greatly appreciate you. Those who are new here, I greatly Lee, appreciate you too. And even the people who complained about that, you know what? I appreciate that too, because it did make me uh, more mindful of not meandering as much and trying to keep things shorter, which I didn't do a great job of today. But alas, here we are. This is a part of why I do one minute Wednesday videos, because those are the polar opposite of this. There is no extra. It is, it is as short as I can possibly make it, maybe even too short. Uh, and then we have more normal videos that typically come out Friday or Saturday, depends on when I get done editing. But thank you as all, as always, thank you as all. Thank you as all. Thank you as always for watching. Thank you as always for listening. And I will talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>